Hello, friends, and welcome to The Interesting Hour. I am 50% of your host, Justin Kupinoff, and with me is the other 50% of your host. Devesh Verma. Hi, everyone. Hey, I'm hey. I'm here. And uh, we got a 100% of an awesome guest here today, Lauren Esposito. Lauren, she... This episode is really cool, but before we get into all that, today's episode <laughs> is brought to you by Core Foundation. <laughs> Core Foundation is a multimedia nonprofit. Check us out at cor-foundation.org. Subscribe, donate, buy some shirts. It helps us out. It helps you out to hear more cool things. And Help us keep the lights on. Yay. But then also, we got Chuck Levins. Chuck Levins, for all your audio needs, visit chucklevins.com. Yay, Chuck Levins. And also, California Academy of Sciences. Check them out at calacademy.org. They let us have Lauren today and talk about arachnids. And Justin kind of geeked out in the episode and had a bunch of questions about safety. (laughs) Spiders are so cool, man. It's cool or scary. I'm not sure. I think this is borderline with you. Well, they're both. They're both. (laughs) But I think that's like... It's like that for a lot of people. So I'm glad we're doing this episode. Yeah. 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 She goes out. This girl basically, uh, we're going to learn about all these new species that she's finding. She goes out and finds new species every time she goes on her little expeditions. So uh, little expeditions. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) She just travels around the world to places that no one else wants to travel to. Yeah. No big deal. Little stuff. This little stuff. She does, you know, (laughs) this little stuff she does for, you know, the advancement of, you know, learning <laughs> yeah i mean education. like i could go out there and do that but you know yeah like, the backyard's so much easier but yeah let's talk about let's let's hear lauren talk about what she does let's start this episode let's do it one two three four and here we are with lauren esposito Assistant Curator and Schlinger Chair of Arachnology at the California Academy of Sciences. Holy crap, I hope I got that right. You did. It's it's quite a mouthful. Okay, <laughs> all right, cool. I, I'm just staring at Justin saying that title. I was like, don't mess up, don't mess up, don't mess up. <laughs> <laughs> I think I even mess it up sometimes. But you're allowed. That's your title. Right. <laughs> no, she's, the, she's the only one that's not allowed to mess it up. Oh, I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> So, so, Lauren, thank you for taking the time to be on the show. It's been a long time to get you on here, just with our scheduling and getting the show up and running, and you're traveling. Like that's right. Thank you. Um, what's besides about traveling? What have you been doing? Well, you know, I guess I, my in my job I wear a lot of hats. So, I guess most people have a question about what it means to be a curator. And or a schlinger chair. I, or a schlinger chair. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what the schlinger chair means yet. I guess just. <laughs> I'm still working on that one, but but I think I've got the curator thing more or less figured out, and 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 so I, in my role as curator, I do a bunch of things. Some of the time I'm here in the office, I'm here at the California Academy of Sciences, behind the scenes. Uh, I guess about a third to half of this giant building that we're in is completely close to the public, and and most people that come visiting, they're on the public floor. They don't realize that there's a whole scientific enterprise happening behind the scenes. You know what? I, I'm proud to say I did visit this place uh, a couple years back, and I did notice there's definitely people working like on important stuff when I was there. It was yeah. a, 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 a ton of tourists. It's a nice, beautiful area. But then, like, yeah, you guys are, that's your offices. Those are your labs. Is it like a museum section for guests, like where they can go and look at stuff, and then most of it is just for research? 
Well, so I wouldn't say most of it, but there's a huge section of the building that's all public. So it's, you know, it's like your traditional sort of, actually it's a non-traditional natural history museum. There's a, a rainforest dome that has like living plants and animals and butterflies and birds in it. And there's a planetarium. And, and then there's some of the more traditional kind of natural history uh, dioramas with stuffed animals in them. Um, it's a pretty cool place. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I feel pretty. I feel privileged to work here for sure. But behind the scenes, there's this. There's an, an entire research wing, uh, and and part of what's happening in that research wing is that there's collections, and those collections are. I guess you could think of them like a library, in that they're they're being used for active research. People can request specimens on loan if they if they need to look at them. Um, there's people that come here to visit our collections, and and we have something like. 43 million specimens in our collection so it's pretty million? extensive wow that was yeah. my next question like how much how much you got stocked <laughs> back there how much you got going on over there <laughs> yeah so that number changes because we're actively curating the collection at all times and and so i don't i think the the last number i heard was about 43 million but here in the entomology department where i am there's 13 million specimens and a million of those are arachnids wow, wow. that's pretty and, cool so yeah it's ama- i mean for me it's it's a um it's massively important resource that that can't be understated, and it's really what it represents for me is a, a literal documentation of life on Earth at any period in time since that collection started. Wow! So, so when because, did the collection start? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so the the California Academy started in the eighteen hundreds. But but when the 1906 earthquake and fire happened in San Francisco, the building burnt down and the, most of the collection was lost, just like everything else in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So really, it restarted in 1906. But but uh, because people donate some of their collections to us, we have specimens dating back to before 1906. And, and each of those specimens has all this information attached to it. So it has who collected it, where they collected it, when they collected it, and in many cases notes, like field notes, that document how they were collecting it, what the conditions were like when they were out there in the field. And not only are we curating those specimens that were already collected, but we're continuing to collect specimens from places that haven't been documented yet. And so that's what wow. I do when I go out. Hella I go metadata. out. Yeah, so I go much metadata. So much meta- metadata. It's really, it's remarkable. Wow. And so a lot of the things that I do and what I've been doing lately is going out to places that are under-documented and trying to understand what's there, how it got there, what things historically happened to, to bring those species to, to life, so to speak. And, and how, I think for me, more importantly, like what do we need to do to ensure that that's able to happen in the future? Because undoubtedly humans are changing the world, right? No doubt. No doubt. You said, uh, un, like, mostly uncharted areas. What areas are you going to? Well, so my, one of the places that I work in the most is the Neotropics. And what that means is, is tropical areas in North and South America. And, and in particular, I work m- more than anywhere in the Caribbean. In the, oh, nice. That's yeah. not a bad gig. No, it's, you know, it's... <laughs> I think everybody has this idea when I tell them that I work in the Caribbean that I'm just like chilling with a like at the a resort at the resort yeah, that has like, some with like a, a rum drink. and coke yeah. on the beach like got Cuba a doobie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and you know the truth is like I almost never see the beach I'm always like in the thick of it in the jungle as far away from any civilization that I can get like sweating covered in mosquitoes this sounds like a great time actually <laughs> so th- so this is that's, yeah you go to the Caribbean it's it's just work. Yeah, it's just work. And it, but it, for me, it's it's like what I live for. I love those moments. That's great. Are you telling me you haven't had a sip of rum 
any of the times you've been in the Caribbean. <laughs> Ooh, I never said anything about that. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Just I just said I wasn't on the level. I'll share on the beach when it happened. <laughs> I mean, while you're, you're wiping your dirty brow and taking a swig from a flask. That's what, that's what I picture. That's what I picture. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's more in line. How, when did you start getting into like this type of uh, field? Like, when did you start showing interest in this? You know, it's kind of that's that's such a weird question for me because I guess thinking back. I, I grew up spending a lot of my time in, in the Bahamas as a kid on this little island that had no electricity, no TV, no phones. Uh, our water was from a cistern that collected rainwater. And so that like in that situation, what I did as a kid was just like went out and explored the environment. It was like in this uncharted island that that like had very little human impact and I just went around and explored the island like that I was like so much fun yeah it was like a little wild child you know were you like a military kid or were your parents into this stuff as well is that why you were there or well my grandparents had a house and and they retired in the oh, Bahamas and well, there so you we go. yeah <laughs> And it was, you know, like at the time when they lived there, like it, it was pretty rugged. It took two days to get there. You had to like take a plane to a little plane, to a boat, to take a Take a couple planes to paradise. Yeah. <laughs> and Must so it was nice. really just like so removed from the the world that, that it allowed me to help, like be in this wonderland. And and I guess that's where it started for me, really. You know, it's funny you say that. Like my parents, they're, they're from India and I had the opportunity to go visit my dad's village when I was a kid. Like, I think I was, uh, like 10, nine or 10 years old. And my dad's village, like where his family was, or my rest of my family is, it's so removed from everything. Like I'm talking about a day's worth of trekking there. Right. And, and this is multiple meals of transporta- transportation and all that stuff. And once you're there, like it is, uh, no one's there to watch you. It's just farmland. Right. So like every morning yeah. I'd wake up, like it would be like epic scenery and my parents were like they didn't care where i went because <laughs> like where yeah, are you exactly. gonna go so i just got <laughs> lost in that stuff so that was kind of cool like yours sounds much more interesting than mine because i was in india and i was on a farm <laughs> but you know that you had like a, a, an island i'm sure there's spiders in india yeah, there's none that I, definitely but, spiders in india oh yeah um i'm sure there's spiders all around the world but that sounds like an amazing childhood but you know i think like a lot of people have a lot of people that are connected to nature have this like formative experience and it, it takes lots of forms like some people went camping and had mm-hmm. a formative experience or went to summer camp or like went on vacation or i you know it could it could come in any form but for me it was it was being a kid and running around in the bahamas like on without any parental guidance no, <laughs> i think that being a kid in the bahamas is cool but i like i feel like if you if you have an interest in that like mm. i was growing up in arizona and it's mm. like man i would be going out and catching lizards all the time yeah like, yeah yeah fascinated me and like i just feel like if you're if you're a kid and that interests you mm. like you'll find a way to like it's so do fr- some nature stuff you Dude, know that's what so funny people in like some metropolitan area they're like listening to this right now you're like what, why would they go outside? Like, <laughs> totally. You, have a, you, have a you know, I've had that like, experience. Like, I, I was working in this high school a few years ago doing, um, like, trying to help the students do, do independent research in New York City. And, and I had this experience where I, I took this group of high school students into the community garden that was next to their school. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that we did was have to walk across the grass. And and some of these kids like stopped and looked at me and they were like, "Wait, you want us to go in the grass?" <laughs> no. Yeah, and I was, and for me that was like shocking. But then looking back, like 
they're, these are kids that grew up in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and the, like most of the parks, even the grassy areas are gated off, and, right. and you're not allowed to step on or something like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so they like they haven't ever had the opportunity to have this connection with nature. So I, while I think that it's true that if you're really into it, you'll seek out those opportunities. I think one of the things that's that's kind of sad is in, in urban settings, which like as a as a as a like part of America what's happening is, is we're increasingly urbanizing right and so a lot of like in these really urban areas a lot of the kids like aren't having these formative experiences that then would maybe get them to seek out opportunities yeah to the chances are going away unless yeah. you want to yeah. look at like sewer rats well, <laughs> no, totally. well even well well, Justin and I, we're in SoCal, so like, right. if we want to go anywhere like remotely looking like that, you have to travel a bit north, I think. I mean, but we have places close by that we can, sure. you know, drive a little bit out of the city and see. A little bit out stuff. of the city, you still get light. Po- I'm worried about stargazing or something like that. You oh know, God. light pollution. Wait, this is a spider episode. Hey, hey, man. Hey, let's make the spider related. Are spiders nocturnal? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what's we, going we on? We can talk about stars. You want to talk about stars? I have some. I have some amazing things about stars that I can tell you that are related to Iraq. Okay, let's, let's, let's go into it. I don't know if you're it. ready to get into that yet. Okay, oh. let's okay, let's back this up. We've we've don't tease me. <laughs> we, we will get to it. We will get to okay. stars and spiders. I'm gonna make a big note of. I'm it. making a big note of that right now. <laughs> stars and spiders. Jeez. All right. Thanks, Lauren. But first, so let's let's make it super simple. Arachnids. What are they? What cla- what classifies uh, an arachnid like, and what makes it different than any other just little bug crawling around? Yeah, let's get into the th- right. let's get into the, let's scratch some surfaces. Let's do this. Yeah, well, let's let's get real. So so arachnids. Arachnids are, are a class of of invertebrate animals, um, and what defines arachnids is that they're they have jointed appendages. So they, so their legs have joints. Um, and they have chelicerae, which are chewing mouth parts. They have eight legs, so those those jointed appendages are their legs. Um, let's see what else. They have two segments of their body, although in some of in some arachnids, like like ticks and mites, which are some kinds of arachnids, those those two body segments are fused into one disgusting little ball. Yeah. Mm. So so um, are, are ticks uh, technically arachnids as well? Yeah, they are. So ticks, mites, spiders, scorpions, what most people call daddy long legs, although some people call daddy long legs spiders too. Uh, and a few other like legs. weird things, like things that you that you maybe you've seen pictures of on TV, like uh, like if you ever saw that crazy spider in Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a tailless whip scorpion, which is another order of arachnid that only lives in the tropics for the most part. Uh, there's things like did you did you guys ever see that that photo that was circulating the internet a couple years ago of these two GIs holding... Oh, the camel spider. Yeah, the camel the spider. Camel They're holding these like ferocious looking things. Is that an actual spider? Or? It is not a spider. It's just a common name. So Wait, hold, hold on. What can so, people Google to see this image? Just so mm-hmm. If they're listening right now, if they can have access to their... Like, show notes. We'll yeah. put a camel spider in the show notes. Okay. Sure. All right. Yeah. I would say like look up GI camel spider and you'll probably... It will probably come up. It's like this guy and he's holding these two camel spiders and they're biting each other and they really look like they're each at least a foot tall. Um, but it's like it's kind of like a camera angle thing. So the the camel spiders are closer to the camera than the GI. They're not really that big, but they're pretty. They're pretty massive. Like Fish they're eye. they're Wide a full lenses. hand hand size and length, like a full palm length. That's scary. Yeah, those <laughs> things are weird, and we don't really know that much about them, to be honest. Like they're really elusive. It's hard to find them in in many places of the world. And and until a few years ago, we didn't even know how they mated. 
they're, really? they're like totally bizarre. Yeah. How we, long have they been in existence, or what you theorize? You know, I would say I would say like somewhere on the in the range of. 400 million years no way and it's just yeah. that elusive they're yeah wow that's, yeah, you just, don't hear that often that it, too often today with some species you know but that's, i mean you know the thing is like in arachnids we we know a lot we've we've learned a lot through really dedicated research over the last several hundred years but the truth is there, there's we only have discovered probably in the range of 30 to 50 percent of arachnid species say that percent that statistic again 30 to 50%. 30 to 50%. Yeah. Okay, wow. wow. So there's a big chunk out there that aren't discovered yet. Like, it, it seems like if it's if there's really that big of a chunk, then every expedition you go out on, you're bringing back, like, a new spider or two. Oh, yeah. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. You, like, previously undocumented spiders, you're bringing them back, and this is the documentation going on, right? With yeah, the metadata. Totally. With all the metadata. <laughs> that is That's so key. awesome. So, yeah, so I would say, you know, like in understudied places, especially in the tropics, it's a pretty consistent value that when I go out to the field and collect broadly for all arachnids that I'm able to find and bring them back, about 30% of what I find is species that are new to science. Wow. And Talk about being on a frontier. Yeah, man. seriously. Like that, you don't think about that with like spiders. You think about like deep ocean or space. Right, but it's some like, place, like, no, but this is completely uncharted, like 50%. That yeah. For, yeah. Wow. That's. Uh, and, I mean, I'm assuming that these are like spiders that obviously locals have seen, but maybe it's not the like the type of location that has like a spider museum there where they're like documenting them. You're bringing them back, you know. Yeah, and you know, so a lot of times locals have never seen them. Like some of them are really tiny, or some of them have really cryptic habits where where it would like unless you were out looking for them, it would be pretty hard to find them because the things, the kinds of spiders that live like in and around human dwellings and in farmlands and stuff like that are really different from the kinds of spiders that you find in primary forests, like untouched forests. Lauren, in that statistic you said, is there an estimate, like a, I guess if there's like a, how do I say this question? Is there like a specific area in the world where a majority of that remaining percentage exists? Is that, are those the areas you're, you're going to? Yeah. So the tropics is by and large the most understudied place. Okay, so developing tropics. countries that are tropical, tro the tropics tend to have a higher diversity of invertebrates, just generally speaking. And so a lot of that's just a, a matter of nobody's been there looking or, or if people were there, they weren't looking for that specifically. There's not that many arachnologists in the world. Do you guys have like clues leading to certain areas to look specifically? Or are you just kind of like guessing we're going to check out this area, this trip and see what we find? Or like, because you're saying you're finding stuff that are spiders that are tiny, like you may not even see them. It's unnoticeable. Yeah. In some cases, they're tiny. In some cases, they're huge. I mean, there was this, this spider that was discovered in Madagascar a few years ago called the Darwin's Darwin spider, I think. Darwin is the name. spider? I can't yeah, I can't remember the full name of what they called it. It might have some other parts to it, How's but it, I think How has this evolved? Well, so so the thing is 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 this Darwin spider, it's it's an orb weaver and so orb weaving spiders are the spiders that build like a charlotte's web kind of thing, like a a radial web that's up in the air in between vegetation. And these spiders build webs that span entire rivers in Madagascar. Like huge what? webs. Yeah. I can't even visualize that. How long I are know. you talking about exactly? Like I mean like 25 meters. Are, do the spiders work together or is this one no, big spider? No, it's one spider. 
like one female spider builds a web that spans an entire river. And that was just discovered like three or four years ago. Because there's a little kid that went swimming in the river <laughs> and it's like, like stuck in this tennis ball net of exactly. spider web. Exa- that's exactly what happened. Oh my no, goodness. I'm just kidding. I didn't. <laughs> just some arachnologists went to this place for the first time and were like, wait, what is this? Like, what is this crazy web across the entire river? And they like collected the spider and looked at it and realized it was a new species. Trump spider. But you know the wall. Dude. <laughs> dude. There's other crazy stuff like like in in um in Oregon, in southern Oregon, there was a spider discovered also about three or four years ago, uh, that was that's an enti- represents an entire family, like a new family. Like that would be like if if all mammals just got discovered four years ago. That's nuts. What does it mean when you say like an all new family? Like what was different about these spiders that made them their own family? Yeah, well, that's a good question. So, so all spiders have characteristics that that place them in a family, and that family is like the high, like one of the highest levels of classification that we use as a way of understanding how things are related to one another. That's the broadest, like, is that what you're saying? Like the broadest. Generation? The broadest, yeah, the broadest within spiders. Okay, this is very right? like scratching the surface of something I learned like in seventh grade, maybe no. <laughs> sixth grade. Most, most people don't revisit it after, yeah. after they learn like what, you know, there's after like, that, they take the test. There's, there's like that <laughs> one week where you learn about that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, so we have, so the, all, all spiders are, are, are in an order, right? Mm-hmm. And then within order is family. And so that's like the broadest strokes that we can group spiders into. And a whole new family was just discovered in Southern Oregon. I mean, this is like somewhere where, well, I guess there's, there's a, a, a Yetis there or whatever, right? Like there's like. <laughs> Check out our cryptozoologist episode coming in <laughs> <Yeah>. season two. <laughs> so, so maybe there's some unknown stuff there, but, but, it, but it's still pretty remarkable. Like in North America, a place where we've documented most of life to find a whole new family of things. Yeah, like, you wouldn't think of it being there. No, no. And so it was found in a cave and it's, it's not even small. It's big. It's like, I don't know, two inches in length or something. It's called Trogloraptor. Wait, Trogloraptor? That sounds Trogloraptor. like a meme. Yeah. Don't tell me that. Really? That's a, okay. Trogloraptor. Because it's, it's, troglo means cave living and it's a cave dweller and it has these like huge raptorial claws, like kind of like a praying mantis foot. Are these the the feet that spiders have in front of them that aren't counting as legs necessarily? But well, so yeah, so those appendages that are in the front are actually not feet at all. They're they're um, called palps, and and in male spiders, the palps are used to transfer sperm to the female. Interesting. Yeah, so Wait, that's where that's their business end. How do you how, how can you differentiate male from female? I just not well, it's in, it's in exactly those things. So so if you ever see a spider and it looks like it has little boxing gloves up by the front of its face, then mm. that's a male. Gotcha. Okay. And if it and if the female, you'd have to like pick it up and turn it over and look at it, but it has a, a genital opening in its abdomen where where that's the entrance to its like uterine system. You need to like really spe- like look at like it's not like something visual like color wise or something like that. That's yeah, nice. no. Yeah. I mean, in some cases, like in some cases, the males are are like Flamboyant. smaller or more colorful mm-hmm. or have some difference that that makes it really immediately apparent. But right. as a general rule, all male spiders have little boxing gloves, which are are the male reproductive organ. So females don't have those. Palps. So they still. So they still have the the palp, which is it looks kind of like a tiny leg, but in females, it's it doesn't have a bulbous end. It's not like a boxing glove. Gotcha. Got it. Okay. But wow. you can also just assume that if it's if you see two of them and one of them is bigger, then the female's the big one. Okay, gotcha. Okay. 
I'm just like, I didn't even know that. Like, okay, yeah, I learned something today. So, like, have have you been able to, like, name the spiders that you find? Like... Yeah, so that's part of the that's part of what I do. So step step one is really planning a research expedition, and and so much goes into planning a research expedition. Like, there's all kinds of factors that are outside of your control. Like, for example, where you get your funding and what the funding is for specifically. Like, in some cases, you may receive a grant to work on a specific place, so that kind of dictates what place you're going to. Mm-hmm. So and you so don't plan your research around the funding and what it's for rather than the other way around sometimes? I mean, sometimes that's the way it works, you know? Like, mm-hmm. the, the, the truth of the matter is is I do mm-hmm. what's, I think, considered by most to be basic research. And, and what that means is, is I go out and, and in a endeavor to discover new species. And that's not, it, it sounds like it should be sexy to, like, funding agencies and, and donors, but it's really not. People don't, like, we have systematically de-invested in funding basic biological research. That's so sad. Because, like, I know, looking from a financial perspective, they're like, what's my return on this? How can you guarantee this return? Or, yeah, yeah, that sucks. And, you know, for me, I think for me the real tragedy is that as a biodiversity scientist, I'm faced with this situation where we're losing biodiversity at a a rate that's that's unprecedented. Mm -hmm. And I'm endeavoring to discover that biodiversity before it's lost. So I have an even bigger motivation to go out and do more research, do it more effectively, do it faster, do it better. And at the same time, I don't have the same amount of funds available to help me do that. That, that sucks. No, that, that's, that sucks, but that's awesome you have that passion, that drive. It gives you that, it lights a fire under your ass, pretty much. I mean, you know, like, what's better than just, like, seeing something that nobody's ever seen before? It's pretty incredible. I, I, we can't, I can't even that's fathom that. That's so boss. That. Yeah. That's so boss. I mean, don't, yeah, like, if the title, your title wasn't boss enough, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, we keep getting back to the, the actual, you know, research part of it and getting out there, which is awesome. But to bring it back to spiders for a second. <laughs> um, so let's go on with some more spider parts. Like uh, yeah. one thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, looking at a bunch of random spiders that I've seen. I actually, uh, I had a pet because I was afraid of spiders at one point. I had a rose-haired tarantula How at one you? point in my life. I was in high school. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I, because it freaked me out. And mm. then I get to the point where I'm holding this guy and it's mm. like just... I was fascinated, <laughs> so fascinated. Did yeah, you, you, I would that, say that's that's probably like the the standard entry level arachnid pet. Yeah, I read up about it beforehand. I think I, it's one of the more docile ones, so you mm-hmm. can actually handle it, and then you can tell when they don't want to be handled too. Like it's pretty obvious. Yeah. They, they like back up, I'm sure. And yeah, they like back up and like throw their arms up. Like yeah, they kind of rear up. Mm-mm. <sighs> yeah, I see that. Just I mean, that's kind of free. Like I'm not. I don't know. I guess I would be afraid if I saw a spider, I guess. <laughs> I never really think about this. Stuff. I just Again, I see what we called, I call daddy long legs or just spiders, right? Um, just because they're in households, but I'm not really afraid of them. Yeah. But if yeah. I see something bigger, like I think I saw a black widow at one point in my life. I just went the other way. Black widows, yeah. man. Something that yeah. looks so vicious, but like is so like beautiful. Like I, I just love spiders like for that. Like it's, I don't know. what What is it like? Let's since we're talking about it, let's get into like arachnophobia. And obviously, a lot yeah. of people are scared of spiders, and so many people. Yeah, so like yeah, so many. So what is that? Where does that come from? And have you ever had that part of you like before you got into all this? You know, I think like it's it's a question I've thought about before, and and I I, I really have to say that 
that I think what people hate the most about spiders is the way they move. They move like, so like they quickly. Just, it just like it just like elicits some kind of like pr- like primal response in humans that like something moves so non-human. Like it's they move in a way that we can't relate to. Right. And I think that that really freaks people out, like, fundamentally. And, and I don't know, you know, I, I can't say that I was ever really scared of spiders. But I, I also have to say that I don't really love it. Like, when I find one crawling down the back of my shirt or, like, I'm walking in the, in the forest and get a spider web in my face, like, I'm not like, yes, that was awesome. Like, I'm like, You're not like, hey, buddy, how you doing? What's going I'm like, on today? Ew, like, get off me. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way you can get past that initial reaction. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's that's, impossible. I think. Man, I'm getting like creeped out right now. I'm feeling like little things in my back right now. This oh, is. Can I tell you a spiderweb story? Just real quick interjection. I was riding down the streets one day, mm-hmm. and like I was going really fast, and it was at night, so I mm-hmm. couldn't really see that far ahead of me. Mm-hmm. But right under this this light, I'm like, what is that just sitting in the middle of the sidewalk, like it, levitating in the middle yeah, of yeah. the air? And I rode past on my skateboard, and I felt like the hit of the spider on my chest. Oof. Like oh, I felt yeah. it yeah. contact my chest. Uh-huh. Yeah, you, it was you felt that a big. Bump. Yeah, yeah, I felt the bump, and like I think, like if somebody had seen me, it would have been one of the funniest videos of my life. <laughs> I took off my shirt, and I'm dancing in the middle of the street at like midnight, <laughs> like screaming like a little girl. Like it was like. I couldn't believe it. I, I honestly, so Justin used to do a lot of improv, and I can actually picture him doing this because I think you've done something similar. Right? Oh yeah, you've seen me do that like, without the spider involved. But. So you probably were a pro when the spider did hit you. Oh yeah, I was like, I just needed an audience to cheer me on. There you go. You know, I can't. I can't even tell you how many times like I've walked into a full-on spider web in my face because I'm never looking up. I'm always looking down. <laughs> oh man. And I'm just like, ugh, like get what, ugh. And it's not entirely easy to get a spider web off you like especially if it's a lot right because it's sticky oh uh, and you feel it an hour later even if it's just in your mind i'm feeling it right now <laughs> all right Anyways. i mean you know but the, but the cool thing is is not all not all spider silk is sticky all right segue okay. we're talking segue. about spider webs now okay justin has let's, a, let's get into it yeah justin you have these quite do it man floor right. so obviously all spider webs are not created equal no Right. So what's the deal? What are the different types and how are they used? Well, so, so earlier when I was talking about families of spiders, so the thing is, is, is most spiders, if you look at on a family level, produce different shapes of webs or use silk in different ways. Although it, one thing to be upfront about is not all spiders make silk. Really? Okay. What's what percentage? Like ticks, like are they technically an arachnid well, that doesn't they're, produce silk? They're an arachnid. So only, so among arachnids, only spiders make silk. But Only not spiders. all spiders really use silk. So I think, I don't know that there's any spiders that are incapable of making silk. Like they'll make it for their egg sac or they'll make it for, um, some, there's this thing called a sperm web, which is how male spiders transfer sperm from their reproductive system to their palps. It's called charging their palps. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh. I'm just thinking of the I episode think title right now. <laughs> I'm thinking of the episode title. Totally um, but... But uh, not all spiders live in webs, and some of them use web in like all kinds of weird ways. Like, there's a family of spiders called dinopids, and dinopids build these orb webs that are, you know, again like the round Charlotte's web kind of thing. But instead of building a big one that they sit in the middle of, they spin it in between their four front legs, and they use it like a fishing net. So they have like these huge eyes up in the front. They're called ogre spiders because they have huge eyes and look like they would live under a bridge. Um, That's sophisticated. 
Yeah, and they make this web in between their four front legs, and they just hang, dangle from a single thread of silk looking down at the ground. And anything that walks by, they just, like, Sneak swoop attack. down and, and scoop it up in their fishing web. See, th- why would I not like spiders? Yeah. <laughs> this makes absolutely perfect sense to me. Um, and, like, talking about orb weavers, so orb weavers are the ones that that, sp- that spin those big radial spiral webs. And, and they actually use multiple kinds of silk to spin that web. So they have, they have spinnerets that are specialized. So spinnerets are the things where silk comes out of. And, and the weird thing about silk is when it's inside their body, it's excreted in glands. And, the, and when it passes through the spinnerets, it transforms from a liquid into a solid. A liquid and, to a Okay. So yeah. like silly string. <laughs> like silly string. Kind of like natural like silly string. Dude, yeah. Justin, you're an expert, man. Killing it. Killing it. You know, I'm just, just showing my knowledge, just dropping some knowledge on you guys. Yeah. <laughs> And and so we don't we can't actually reproduce that process. We can reproduce the silk like the, as a biochemical property, but we can't reproduce the process that happens to make it from a liquid to a solid. So when we like make it and then we try to turn it into a solid, it's just like a glob. But so what's happening at the spinneret that this liquid passes through? Is that what we're unsure about, or do we that know is how what that we're works? About. Yeah, that is what we're unsure about, and and people are researching that actively right now. And I think soon we'll have the answers to that question, but we're not there quite yet. Because that's like a ton of capabilities. If you have a liquid that you're able to turn into like a 50-yard like string stronger than, you know, like, I don't know. That's just, that seems crazy. Well, you, said, you said, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, you just started to say stronger. And that's one of the really cool things about, about silk. So so in those orb weaving spiders, they make silk that's that's the, the sticky capture spiral. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the sticky silk. It has little, actually little tiny droplets of glue on it that's de- that are deposited. And that's what makes it sticky. It's not the silk itself. But they also have um, uh, radial, not radial, mm, dragline silk. That's a different type of silk that's secreted. And that dragline silk is stronger than steel, like pound for pound, and more tensile than Kevlar. So it's actually the toughest material known to man. And, and toughness is this, this, uh, this property that, that's like the intersection of strength and tensility. Right, and that's what we're trying to like recreate but failing, right? Well, Something like spider silk. Well, I, yeah. I read, didn't they do this through like goat milk or something? They took like the genetic marker for uh, making the silk and they put it in some goat or something like that i don't even know yeah, yeah and then no, they, so they were secreting that. the milk from that and they were doing some process with the milk to get this the spider silk right so we can that's what i was saying before we can make the spider silk like we can we know how to do that you just can't do it straight from spiders they're very territorial we, well you can actually you can actually uh harvest silk from a spider you're gonna say milk well you can't yeah. you, you can milk really? them for, for their venom but you can't you, right. you okay. can't i mean and you can i guess sort of in a in a sense collecting their silk <laughs> yeah, from I guess if you really wanted to <laughs> i mean i guess it's kind of like milking it's like yeah. harvest like you basically it's kind of like terrible and humans should be ashamed of themselves for this but what what they do is they take a spider and they strap it down and then they take a thread of their silk out from one of their spinnerets mm-hmm. and attach it to like a like a wheel like a spinning wheel and they oh, just, and just like pull it out spin the wheel and oh. pull it out <laughs> brutal Spider's like, come on, guys, I'm dry. It sounds, to me, it sounds like something from some kind of like, I don't know, Brothers Grimm story. Yeah, no, that definitely sounds it's right up that alley. That's, wow. But, it's okay. not, you know, it's not very efficient. So, like, collecting spider silk in that way is, like, not the best way, which is why people are trying to figure out how to make spider silk. And so we can put the gene into a goat, and we can milk the goat, and we can collect the liquid, but we're not yet 
able to turn it into the solid that is the silk that comes out of spiders. You were saying earlier that we're not there yet, but we will be soon, hopefully. I think those were so, not your ex- exact words, but how long yeah. do you think in the future? Like, I mean, do I don't know. I don't. I don't really work in that field. Like, I don't work in the field of of web. What are your hopes? Stuff and silk and biochemistry, in that way. But you know, I would say like within a few years. Oh, that'd be awesome to see. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I Is that going to be the new rock climbing rope that people are going to use? Is like. I mean, maybe. Silk? But, but I think, like, even more, like, I, I imagine that there's some researcher out there that's, like, getting, like, huge DARPA money from, like, the DOD or something to to figure out how to make spider silk. Oh, so yeah, to have, like, people from helicopters jumping down and, like... Or or even, like, bulletproof vests, because it's yeah. more tensile than Kevlar. So it's, like, if you oh, yeah. made it, it would be, like, more lightweight than the current body armor that we use in the military. So, like, I'm sure that somebody's getting huge bucks to try to figure it out. Man. Half man, half spider. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So, um, any other ways that spiders use their silk or use it uh, differently? Well, a lot of spiders just just make um, burrows that are silk lined. So, like big spiders, like tarantulas and trapdoor spiders and things like that. They they will make these tubes in the ground that they dig out. They excavate them and then they'll line them with silk. And that silk is kind of it's kind of like an extension of their sensory and so what it allows them to do is that they're standing on the silk they have these little these little pits in the bottom of their feet that are sensory organs that allow them to feel vibration very sensitively and and so when something walks across that silk they feel the vibration and they're able to go and attack because they're kind of like sit and wait predators they just sit around waiting until something walks by and and so so that's one way that they're using it is like this this idea of kind of sensory extension or extending what what they're able to perceive that's kind of badass yeah and that's That's that's, really badass that's what i saw with my tarantula that i had it was like i'd be like what are you doing with your web man and like the bottom of his cage would be like lined with it next to his little hole and then he'd start explaining to you oh yeah he talked to me all the time (laughs) yeah just like charlotte (laughs) yeah yeah no that's not like there's like i would drop my crickets in there for him to eat Mm -hmm. and like he wouldn't need to see the cricket to know that it was there. And, like, it was it was insane. I think one of the, not the most recent remake of Spider-Man, but uh, the last session with Sony that they made, they, they had a scene where he actually creates a webbing in, like, in the sewer. And he's just chilling. He's waiting for, like, vibrations down each time. Yeah. yeah, look at that. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're I just, I just remembered that. That's accurate. Oh, uh, since we're on this topic, let me ask you this question. Spider-Man. How accurate are his abilities compared to what spiders can do, etc.? I mean, you know... Other than the human body thing, (laughs) you know. Like, certainly spiders can't really, like, shoot out their silk in a directed way. Like, they don't do that. Okay. Like, they'll... What most spiders will do is, is they'll secrete some silk and attach that silk i mean they don't attach it it just kind of attaches to whatever they're sitting on Mm -hmm. or they kind of like press it against the the tree limb that they're sitting on or whatever and then they'll jump off Mm -hmm. and and so but they're they're really at the mercy of like the wind and like the greatest base jumpers known to man you know wherever yeah exactly wherever the next thing is and Mm -hmm. so so they're not really like ejecting it in the way that that spider-man ejects it so in that sense it's it's inaccurate okay and okay damn so radioactive spider get bit and i'm probably dying <laughs> mm, probably not oh really <laughs> i mean so so like in terms of of spider species that are dangerous to humans there's very few oh that's good to know 
Uh, actually, yeah. I think Justin had a great question about spiders to be aware of. Yeah, my wife, when I was talking to her that I was going to go and uh, We're talk doing to this an arachnologist, yeah. <laughs> she was like, I was like, I'm trying to get questions from people. And she's like, I only have one question. <laughs> what are the spiders here in L.A. and which ones do I need to be scared of? <laughs> like, that was it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> What, you know, like that's everybody. That's like the money question. That's what everybody wants to know all the time. Yeah, so, I, I need to. But spiders know are dangerous. I, I can't even tell you the number of like weird requests I get about like people who think they've been bit by a spider and their doctor told them that. And and there's so much misinformation out there mm-hmm. that I'm so glad you brought it up because how many spiders are dangerous in California? There's two. Black well, widow. There's a black widow. Wolf spider. And nope, no wolf spiders aren't dangerous. Really? And there's there's a. As far as I know, or what I was told last by the world's expert on brown recluse spiders, is that there's a single population of brown recluse spiders in California that's in the basement of a church that accepts donations. (laughs) (laughs) So stay away from churches, people. (laughs) Or this one in particular. And so it was like introduced, like somebody moved from somewhere else where there's brown recluse spiders and they had a box of stuff with a brown recluse in it and they brought it to this church and the church stuck it in their basement is, but otherwise i mean there's there's for sure black widows they're here they they love human houses because we provide this nice stable environment full of food like crickets and roaches mm-hmm. and they can like chomp away to their heart's content but but the truth about black widow spiders and brown recluses for that matter is that they are both really reclusive spiders like they do not want to interact with humans Mm -hmm. and they'll try to build a web that's like as far away from anywhere that humans are going to interact with it as possible well that's like where you like only find them like when you're like cleaning out your garage for the first time in three years and it's like in the very very corner and you're like ah yeah (laughs) exactly so you know like wear gloves when you clean out your garage for the first time in three years like that's my best point of advice but but as far as what they're gonna like what other things are out there that are gonna hurt you there's there's really not very much as far as arachnids are concerned i would be much more worried about mosquitoes or ticks do do but um so like even if uh say I get bit by even a black widow mm-hmm. I like odds are that I'm not gonna like be dead in the next couple hours right yeah if you get bit by a black widow and you're an adult you will not die okay so, wait well wow. unless oh. unless you're unless you're immunocompromised like I can't speak for everybody or you have some kind of severe allergic reaction but for the average normal healthy adult human you will not die but you might be in some pretty severe pain what about child like what when is it dangerous. I mean, if you if a child gets bit by a black widow, I would recommend calling the poison control center. Okay. You know, like it's it's a black widow bite, a true black widow bite is causes severe pain. Do do all uh, spiders have venom? So no, actually, not all spiders have venom, but most spiders have venom. Although the 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 really cool thing about arachnids and arachnid venom is that arachnid venom's been evolving for a really long time, and and. When you produce a product, like something that you have to make out of your own body, it's metabolically expensive. So that means like it costs, you have to eat a lot of crickets to make it basically. And and they're walking that line of like, I don't want to be eating like so often, but I still want to have some venom. Is that what it is? Yeah. Well, they're walking that line like, I don't want to use the venom unless I have to. Right. And hmm. I, I want to make the venom that's the least costly for me to make. 
I mean, it's not like they're individually having this this thought process. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna say, is it like a weekly conversation? Like, when does this happen? Yeah. But you know, like over time, like that's that's what nature has has driven them towards. And so, so arachnids are gonna make venom that is for the uses that they need it for. And in in the case of most arachnids, it's not gonna be for defense because most arachnids don't have fangs big enough to penetrate the skin of something like a a rat or a bird or a human. Mm -hmm. But what they do need to do is eat. And so most arachnid venom is really specialized for interrupting the nervous system of of insects. Okay, is it also like, since we're talking about eating, like they're not eating anything whole, right? Is don't spiders like do they use their venom to like inject and like have like a blood meal or like what's the deal? Yeah, so so their venom has all kinds of components and it depends on the spider. Like every spi- every spider species has different components, but but as a general sort concept, they'll have at least two things. They'll have a neurotoxin for insects, which interrupts the nervous system. Like it basically like blocks the nervous system from signaling other nerves. And then they'll also have some sort of digestive enzyme, which is often a salt or something that that breaks down cells so that they can slurp it up. Gotcha. (laughs) So to liquefy it into a slushy. Yeah, they make a they make a nice little slushy and then they just suck that slushy up. Why'd you laugh so hard at me? I'm I'm sorry, Lauren. <laughs> while you're talking right now, Justin over here was just looking at me. Like I was cracking up, not because of anything you were saying is because Justin is so excited. Like this has to be what I looked like in the other episode, because like this has to be the easiest episode for me. Because like I'm just like, yeah, I'm just learning about stuff from you and Justin right now. <laughs> I have like questions here and there, but yeah. In fact, do you want to just go out and get me another? Yeah, coffee? I might just go like, get coffee. Yeah, we'll like, be good here. You want lunch? <laughs> like, yeah. Give me a sandwich. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, so, no, this is all fascinating. I don't want to, like, undermine this topic because, like, this is all, I'm like, I don't know this stuff. So, this is kind of like, oh, wow. And But Justin's, like, really, really, like, he's done some, He's no, he, he doesn't need to do research. He's already known this kind of stuff. So, this is kind of funny. So, yeah, it's great. I'm knowing a new side of Justin on the interesting hour. So, it's awesome. So, back on topic, arachnids. Back on topic. Yeah. Uh, but you sp- know, so so that's what spiders do. But but other arachnids, like scorpions, for example, they they actually masticate their 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 prey, so they chew it up. So they don't oh, wow. inject. I mean, they do inject enzymes that start sort of like pre break down, like sort of like our saliva pre breaks down our food. Mm-hmm. But scorpions will just chew it up with their mouth parts and and eat the little chunks. So they've got definitely different mouth parts than what a spider has. You know, they're very similar, but but there's there's are 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 more chewing adapted than slurping adapted oh so yeah. so the big difference is spiders have fangs in their mouth parts and fangs. scorpions don't have fangs in their mouth parts those fangs take up a lot of space Although, <laughs> I, I don't think they yeah that's the fangs are used for in, injecting the venom too no that's yeah, I, so, yeah so the fangs is is a venom delivery system so it's like a gland and surrounded by the gland is muscle tissue that that can like eject what the gland makes which is like the venom and the enzymes and then that is delivered through a hypodermic needle which is the fang kind of needle situation it's nature's syringe <laughs> yeah really. it's nature's syringe exactly yeah. yeah and 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 scorpions don't have that so they're able to like use their mouth parts in different ways maybe more ways than spiders are i have to t- ask you this question because this confuses me so spiders eyes 
Like, yeah, there's different types of formations of eyes. Like, what's what's the deal with that? Or if Justin, do you want to frame that in a different way? No, I think that's the best way to start off with that. Like, just their eyes. Yeah, I will. And it never looks like, you know, if you take one spider to the next, it looks like their eyes are just like in random arrangements. Yeah. And like, I mean, obviously very creepy arrangement. Like, what's the deal? Like, are they using everything? Like, what's going on? Yeah. So so just like spiders, different families of spiders make different structures of webs. Mm-hmm. Different families of spiders have a, have a, a specific eye pattern. Oh. And that eye pattern is like for whatever that spider is specialized in doing. So some spiders have reduced numbers of eyes. The, the sort of gold standard is eight, but some spiders will have less. And that might be because they live in like leaf litter, which is kind of dark and they don't need as many eyes. Um, or they are mostly using like like web for sensory or, or maybe even if they live in a cave, they might have like elongated legs that they're using for sensory instead of eyes. Um, and other spiders are really visual, like jumping spiders. Like I think most people have seen a jumping spider at least once in their life. And they're those little tiny spiders that jump around in your house or your garden. And they have huge eyes up in the front that, that they use in in a way that's essentially binocular vision. Like they're able to judge distance and... And and that's really important if you're jumping. Is you every to, eye created equal? Uh, so some eyes are bigger and some eyes are smaller. And, and the, the bigger eyes obviously have more evo- like advanced vision than the smaller eyes are capable of. But in terms of structure, they're essentially the same like anatomically. So like, I don't know. I don't know. Can we even answer this since we're still discovering new species? But um, the way they interpret, like, like the way humans interpret vision, right? Like, we just see a singular image. Do they see that, or do they see multiple things? Like, do we know how they interpret all their all that kind of input? You know, I, I guess I don't really know the answer to that question. I, I think that they see a singular image, but, but I could be totally wrong. I don't know how they interpret it. Because, like, in movies, they just show you, like, eight different frame, like cameras, like, stitched <laughs> yeah. together. Like, it's, like, broken glass, like a kaleidoscope almost. Yeah, I mean, certainly, so, like, things like insects that have multiple lenses on a single eye will will obviously have a broken image like that, but spiders mm-hmm. just have a single lens, so so they probably, yeah, who knows? Maybe you should ask your tarantula. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's passed away. Thanks for bringing it up. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Justin, I'm sorry. Justin, sorry. don't leave. Don't leave. You had the funeral. <laughs> we had the funeral last week. <laughs> this is not something to be joking about. Sorry, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, yeah. Hold on. We got eyes. We got venom. We talked about webbing. Yeah. Oh, uh, so let's talk about, like, uh, how the heck, like, they're they're able to move around so fast on, like... In the blink of an eye, they can move, like, two inches on a web, which is, like, you know, five times their body length. And they're not getting stuck to it. They're, they're mo- are they moving that precise? That, or, or what's the deal? Everything sticks to it except the spider. Yeah, well, so spiders, so spiders have um, tarsal claws. And so those are little tiny claws at the end of their feet that they use for grasping. And so that certainly helps them to... to move around sort of agilely on this small strands of silk. But but spiders have a pretty crazy method of, of walking in that they use hydraulic pressure to extend their legs. So they actually like pump liquid or blood, hemolymph is what it's called, out of their abdomen and into their legs to extend their legs. And then their legs contract like like uh, on, on their own just through through tendons. 
they can track naturally, but to to move it out again, that's the it's like a hydraulic type thing. They're yeah, it's, hi- it's a, hydraulic a pressure. Mm-hmm. They're pumping fluid into their legs and then like removing the fluid or releasing the pump, and the legs contract. Wow. So and that's how like the jumping spider is able to to move so such great distances in relation to its like body size or whatever, well, right? Well, jumping spiders also have flexor muscles. So they so they can generate force using using muscular force unlike a lot of other spiders. So all spiders have have musculature in their at least in their coxae, which is like where their leg attaches to their body. Sorry. <laughs> I'm a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Get it out. Get yeah. it out. Let's, come on, Laura. Let's push through that. Let's get back. <laughs> Moving past the coxie. I mean, I mean, we can go back to talking about reproduction if you want. Yes. That's next. That's, That's next. next. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's it's just like a it's hydraulic pressure, and that's the same way like male spiders probably move their palps to some extent with hydraulic pressure, although their palps are probably also have have muscles within them. Man, everything you're explaining about. Spider just makes me like there is nothing in existence like Lord of the Rings, right? Like that giant spider or like you see Harry Potter, like thank God that does not exist because <laughs> this is terrifying. Well, it doesn't exist now. Could oh. it exist? Could we evolve? Or could we have spiders evolving into things like that? Is that possible? Well, so that's a, that's that's a great question. And, and it turns out that there's a specific limitation to how big spiders can get. Um, and what dictates that limitation is the oxygen content of the atmosphere. Oh, oh. Did we have like bigger insects back in the day on Earth, like earlier? Yeah. They had, so were there have been huge spiders back then? Exactly. So Oof. there were there were definitely much bigger spiders back then, and that's because we, like the Earth, like in periods like the Jurassic, had a much higher oxygen content in the atmosphere, and so things that were limited by oxygen content were able to grow bigger. And so the re- there's a really good reason for that. So so maybe for that we should step back just a little bit in like in history in historic time and go back to when arachnid lineages first evolved and came onto land. Yeah, let's do it. And, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so, so the earliest arachnids came onto land somewhere around 450 million years ago. Like, Sorry to interrupt you, just really quick. Is that Does that mean that at one point there was an arachnid living in the water, or did they like develop once whatever creature that was land landside right. do you get what i'm saying so yeah 100% there were, there were there were arachnids living in the water or or maybe we could even consider them the closest dead relatives of arachnids and the closest living relatives of arachnids are still in the water oh so like the closest living relatives of arachnids are things like horseshoe crabs and sea spiders so sea spiders even though they have spider in the name are not true spiders but they are one of the closest living relatives of arachnids Okay, but uh, are, what was the other thing you said that was related to them? Uh, sorry, I said Eurypterids, but I actually meant something else. I meant horseshoe crabs. I don't even remember what I said now. I think Both. you said horseshoe crabs, but are, okay. are, they're not considered arachnids, are they? They're not, but, they're, but they are considered to be the closest living relative of true arachnids. Okay. And, okay, so you're saying this stuff dates back 450 million years ago? Yeah, 400. So the earliest arachnids to come on land, actually the earliest arthropods, so like anything with jointed appendages. And so arthropods includes like crabs and insects and basically anything with a hard shell and like little walkie legs. (laughs) Little walkie legs. Yeah. (laughs) Is arthropods. And what what people think of the first arthropod ever to come onto land was probably scorpions or the ancestor of scorpions. And that was about 450 million years ago. And they were, like, huge. They were, like, basically, just imagine the grizzly bear of that time period. No way. Okay, see, that 
That legitimately scares me. Yeah, they were huge. They were these huge things called Eurypterids, and they were like, they were like the 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 top predators. Maybe not the top predators, but among the top predators of the ocean at the time. Like they were these huge things that cruised around looking for other things to eat, and they basically looked similar to what a scorpion looks like today, except that they had like little paddles instead of claws and like this weird thing in the back that we don't even really know what's scarier than jaws man that's terrifying (laughs) terrifying i mean they were jaws but then they got even worse because they started becoming amphibious they evolved to become amphibious where they were able to live this semi-aquatic lifestyle Mm -hmm. and come up onto the banks of rivers and stuff and and some people have hypothesized that they were coming up onto the shores of rivers and actually eating like spawning fish like salmon and stuff like how grizzlies do today there really were the grizzlies back in the day. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And they were like a meter or a meter, like I guess up to a meter or two in length. Ah, uh, stop. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> yeah. right. so, and then this so is those, be- those were the first things coming up on land. Was these guys? And and actually, if if, if you have any listeners from New York, they're the state fossil of New York. Oh really? Little little factoid that I learned when I was a student there. <laughs> That's cool. Little shout out. Maybe Jacqueline's listening. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. And so, and so those things came onto land, and when they came onto land, they had to evolve a way to breathe oxygen from the air instead of oxygen from the water. And so, what they did—I mean, not intentionally—like what evolution drove them to was mm-hmm. this structure called a book lung. And basically, what a book lung is is it's like if you took a gill and squished that gill up and pulled it inside your body, and it essentially looks like the pages of a book all smushed together. And what they do is they just have this opening to that book lung and air passes over the book lung passively, like they don't breathe in and out. It just kind of like flows over the book lung and they absorb oxygen. And so all those pages like essentially increase surface size to let them absorb the maximum amount of oxygen that they can. Oh, wow. And so that's why they're limited is exactly that reason. Like they can't breathe harder because they don't like breathe in and out. They don't respire. But are you you saying that spiders even nowadays have that same kind of lung and that's, what's keeping them from getting. Yeah, exactly. So they have this all, all spiders and scorpions have a book lung and that book lung is what limits their maximum size or not necessarily the book lung, but the way that they breathe. But that seems like if, if they're not like pumping air in and out specifically, like they should, don't they have to keep moving like a fish to like keep getting like air over their book lung or whatever? That's what no. it seemed like to me. Yeah, no, they don't. I mean, I guess unlike yeah, no, no, Justin, these, these no. <laughs> I mean, I guess you know, like like unlike unlike fish and the water, where where maybe like water kind of tends to sit still at some depths and doesn't circulate as much in the air. Like oxygen molecules are just constantly circulating. What if you took like a generate like twenty generations of spiders and just put them in a little like airtight chamber and pumped in like a bunch of oxygen? Like, would they just like get huge? What are you trying to get at, man? Or are you trying to inspire? I want to make huge spiders just to mess with me, huh? (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess like if you did that and you selected for bigger spiders like artificially, then maybe sure, why not? Try it out. Let me know. Call me. Call me in like forty years. All right, Uh, forty years. All right. Have that long to just get out of stuff. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Lauren, I have a I have a throwback question for you. Okay. Uh I don't think I asked this question. What is the spider with the most amount of eyes that we know of today? 
Ooh, the spider with the most amount of eyes. I don't. I don't even. I don't think I know the answer to that question. Okay. How about? I, I mean, I think eight, eight is the most eyes, but I could totally be wrong. Yeah, I thought you said eight was a golden standard or something like that, right? Yeah. Okay. Just curious, you know. <laughs> just curious. Yeah, I don't. I I can't think of any spiders with more than eight, so I, I, I'm gonna just go with that eight. Watch your next trip. It's gonna be the twelve eye spider. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you back on the show just yeah. to talk about it. Oh yeah, you're going on another trip, right? Coming up. I am. I have some trips coming up. Uh, so first, I'm going to a conference. Very exciting. Next, talk so about, exciting. Talk, talk about about arachnids and and venom evolution. Are you, are you awesome. speaking? You're gonna be speaking. I am, yeah. So I, 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 try, I try to always talk at conferences because I feel like that's how you get your research out to the community, but there's always a rare occasion where I don't have time or something. Yeah. I mean, um, you're, you're, you're moving around a lot. Yeah. I was really and, and, happy that we are able to arrange this today. I know. It's, it's been tough. This summer was, this summer was intense. I, I had two back-to-back field courses where I took, I took undergraduates out to the field. I actually, aside from being the curator at the California Academy, I'm the co-founder of this nonprofit organization called Islands and Seas. And, and we're building a research station in Baja, California. Um, and so this summer we took our first course of undergraduates ever out to learn field biology methods, which is really like a disappearing art. Just, just as I was talking earlier about how there's not as much funding for, for doing basic biodiversity discovery. Yeah. There's not as many cor- like universities that are teaching field biology. And so we, we took our first course of undergraduates out and we took out an ornithologist, who's, which is a, a bird person, mm-hmm. and an arachnologist and a herpetologist, which is snakes and lizards, non-avian reptiles, and taught students about field biology. Wow. Um, and then I came back and I taught a course in conservation biology to high school students. And then I came back again and and that's when you guys caught me. Yay. <laughs> and now coming up, I, I'm, I'm headed. I'm headed to the island of Seba, which is in a little tiny island in the Caribbean, to participate in this island-wide science month that they organize, which is like amazing. It's like I I don't know what the population is of Seba, but it can't be more than a thousand people. And every year they organize this month of bringing scientists to the island to talk to the community about science and the science research that they do. So it's like a way to to bring science to this tiny place that doesn't have a whole lot. Dude, Which is so cool. Your that's cool. Your job is badass. And <laughs> like, how does how does somebody like you're like right now? You're talking about all this stuff. What happens if a listener is inspired to want to do some similar field of work? Maybe not arachnoids or anything like that. Maybe something else. Like, how do they start about doing that from school? Like, what do they need to do? Like, how did you get to where you are? Yeah, that's you know, it's it's like a long and kind of. Semi-convoluted path, but but I'll 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 try my best to simplify it. So so I went to college. Mm-hmm. Actually, I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to like travel around and camp in my truck or something. You want to continue exploring? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. my mom my mom like forced me to apply to the University of Texas, which is I grew up in Texas. And so I applied. I I got in and I went to school. And I was a biology major because. I was inter- I knew I was interested in biology, like that mm-hmm. much I was aware of. Mm-hmm. And but I, I was a pre med major because I for me like I didn't I couldn't think of anything else. Like it seemed like if you were interested in biology, like that was the career option was to be pre med or or go to vet school or become a dentist or something like that. And so so I like most other biology undergraduates was a pre med major and then my 
junior year, I think, my junior year of college, I took a course called field biology. So just like I was telling you, I took hmm. this. I did, we did this field biology course out at my my research station. I took field biology, but through the university, and it's a course that they don't they don't I don't I don't think they offer it at least not in the same way anymore. Mm-hmm. And what what it was is we they we it was a semester long course, and what we had to do was de- devise a project that we would do in the field. And where we were going was this place called Puerto Penasco, which is like the northern part of the Gulf of California in the Sonoran Desert, okay, like wow, right yeah. on the beach. And they took us all out there. Always on the beach, huh? Yeah, always on the beach. <laughs> they took us out there and we spent a week like doing the project that we proposed and then had to like come back and, and analyze the results and write it up as a research paper and present it. And, and I took that class and for me it was like kind of like seriously like an aha moment. Like I was like, wait a second, this is what I like doing. Like all the other stuff... It's great. I'm interested in it, but this is what I love. Like this is my passion, and so it swept you off your feet. It did, and so I, the next semester I changed my major, my emphasis from being pre-med to being uh, ecology and evolution, and I kept taking field biology courses and kept like pursuing my studies, and then. I applied for a summer internship at the American Museum of Natural History, which is where I would later go back and do my PhD. Mm-hmm. And I and I showed up. The, I knew that the summer research um, opportunity was about arthropod evolution, but I didn't know what. Like it could have been insects, it could have been spiders, it could have been horseshoe crabs. Like who knows? And so I showed up, and it turned out that my my mentor for the summer was a scorpion biologist. This this guy named Lorenzo Prendini. He's one of the few scorpion biologists in the world, mm-hmm. and and it was an amazing summer. Like I learned how to work in a genetics lab because he uses genetics, like I do now, to study arachnid evolution. Um, and I learned what it meant to curate specimens. Like I worked with specimens from the collection, uh, databasing all of that metadata that's that's harvested on every. Uh, specimen in the side of a tiny little label that's usually scrawled in somebody's handwriting. <laughs> like, <laughs> sounds, uh, sounds tedious. <laughs> well, it sounds tedious, but for me, like, I, I was, like, touching these scorpions from all over the world and, like, looking at them and looking at them under a microscope and, like, extracting their DNA. And, and it was, like, a, it, was, it was a really formative experience, but I don't think that it sold me necessarily on being an arachnologist. It just Mm -hmm. sold me on wanting to do research. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to my school and kept doing all the same things I was doing before, like taking field biology courses, taking courses in anything that I could possibly enroll in that was biologically related. And and then came a moment where it was like decision time. Like I'm graduating, like what like every undergraduate faces this this moment, like, what are you going to do next? Like, oh, crap, mm-hmm. I might have to get a job or, or do something. <laughs> oh, God, that was a scary part. <laughs> and and so I, I decided that I would go to graduate school because I, want, I wanted to keep doing research. And I applied to this program at the American Museum that was in collaboration with the City College or, or City University of New York. Mm-hmm. And I, I got in for a Ph.D., and I moved to New York and started the program and started working with the same guy that had been my mentor that summer. Nice. And spent, you know, b- way longer than it ever should take anybody to do anything. <laughs> <getting a piece. laughs> and, 
And I, so I ended, you know, I, I finished. I had a, a master's and a PhD from the American Museum and City College. Mm-hmm. And I, got, I applied for funding to, to find the next thing to do. I, again, like, had that, like, oh, crap moment. Like, I'm going to finish. I might have to get a real job. So, right. so I, I applied for grants, and I got a grant to, to come to the University of California at Berkeley and spend three years on a research project studying arachnids in the Caribbean. And so I basically spent three years, like, cruising around Caribbean islands, leading expeditions with undergraduate volunteers and, and collecting arachnids and surveying places that had never been surveyed before and analyzing the data that we collected in those, in those expeditions and, and then eventually ended up in my position that, I, that I'm in now as curator of arachnids. That's, you're, Lauren, you're a badass. I said it like three <laughs> times already in this episode, but you're a badass. You got to keep doing what you're doing because like, yeah. you're definitely like... You're moving up there, and you're also like striking inspiration with students, taking them out. Not many people do that today, or not as many people should. I mean, for me, that for me, it's I, I have. I think I, you know, I have this this ingrained part of me that feels like it's really not enough to do science. It, it's not like the way that the world is today. It's not enough to be a scientist and to do science. Mm-hmm. You have to get the message out there. Yeah, outreach is huge. Outreach is so huge. That's actually how we found you, I think. Like, you specifically listed outreach, like, on LinkedIn, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anybody who, like, wants to talk about their... (laughs) Yeah, like... Their profession. Oh, yeah, just anyone who's listening... if you say outreach on your like LinkedIn profile or just social media, we'll we'll try and find you if you want to do an episode. Just let everybody guys know. <laughs> so, um, but now this is this been cool. No, that's that's an awesome story. Um, and your journey is very cool. Yeah, uh, and your upcoming journeys are going to be really cool too. Um, yeah, so so I'm going to Saba for outreach, but um, also for research. I'm going to do this 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 research expedition like with community involvement to to help us collect some of the data. And then after that, I'm going to Sao Tome and Principe, which is a little island nation off the coast of the Congo, mm-hmm. uh, for purely research to so go collect arachnids in a place that's that hasn't been sampled for arachnids very much, and see wow. what I discover. Do you ever have a like a when you go out to a place like that? Like, do you have a quota? Quota? <laughs> like, yeah, definitely. I mean, so so well, I've got the, metrics. Come on, man. <laughs> totally. I, I've got you know I've got a I have a quota in the sense that I have to apply for research permits with the government of the place that I'm going to, and I also usually have to apply for export permits as well. And so whatever they they feel is a reasonable amount of stuff that I can remove is what my quota is. Like it's it's an inverse quota. Like I'm limited. Oh, you want to get oh, as many man. as you can to whatever they say That's is okay to take out. I mean, I, I like, I'm not like a, like, I don't really, I can't say I really get pleasure out of killing arachnids. Like, I really, I think they're super cool and very interesting. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, is, is unless it's something really common, if I collect it, the chances, there's always a really high chance that it's something new to science. And so I collect as much as I can within reason, like within, like, I don't want to damage the population or anything like that. Like, I don't want to co- do harm. Sure. You try to be responsible. Right. But, right. but. But you know, like I'm mostly collecting along a pa- along a path or a trail, and so I don't. It's like rare that I reach like really the super interior, like hacking through with a machete. I don't feel like I'm real. I can ever really impact a population yeah, very Indiana much. Indiana Jonesing it necessarily. <laughs> like, I mean, I do Indiana Jones it, but 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 I feel like I'm only one person there for like one a few you're hours. Only, you're only one person, no machete, one whip. <laughs> there's only so much. There's a machete sometimes. Oh, let's, so let's get serious. <laughs> so, I guess footprints take only memories. 
<laughs> Thanks, and Justin. A suitcase, and a suitcase full of arachnid. A, <laughs> a whole suitcase full of arachnid. That's how you're going to go for it, but yeah. Um, so, uh, Lauren, we're going to start wrapping up here. Uh, I think Justin has a question. Uh, no? No? That's the worst case? I don't even know. Oh! No, before we leave, we have to... You, you tempted Devesh with oh, yes! somehow oh, relating yeah. stars to arachnids, so you have to do that before we head out. What's up, Lauren? I mean, Let's talk. And the, thing, the thing is, like, I, I didn't even really get into arachnid behavior with you guys, and the arachnid behavior is, like, some crazy stuff. But, I know. But I, I feel like it was so short, man. Like, there's so much more to talk about. Like, I mean... We'll, we'll have to have a follow-up next year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be down to do that. Absolutely. Season two. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> arachnids. <laughs> We can talk about about drugs and sex. Yeah, uh, with arachnids or just in, in general. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely arachnids. Definitely. Okay. But, but so I'll, I'll tell you my star story. Yes, please. So so scorpions live in virtually every habitat on Earth except for like the Arctic, the tundra, and Antarctica. Like they're everywhere. There's mm-hmm. scorpions in the Alps. There's scorpions in the Andes. There's scorpions in tropical rainforests and deserts everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, there's also scorpions that live in sand dunes. And sand dunes are, are these really, you know, uniform ecosystem that, like, you could imagine, like, walking over a couple dunes and getting lost and not being able to figure out your way out. And that's the same for scorpions. Like, if they start cruising around, like, how are they going to figure out how to get back to their burrow? And so mm-hmm. scorpions have, have this eye pattern where they have three sets of eyes that are arranged in a triangle. Mm-hmm. And scorpions that live in sand dunes usually kind of have a one of those sets of eyes. The, the middle set is, is pushed back in their head, so it makes the triangle even bigger. And they make these burrows where, that they live in. And the burrows can be like a meter deep and have like corkscrew patterns and twists and turns and dead ends and all kinds of crazy stuff. And they like invest so much energy in making these burrows. So if they leave the burrow to forage, it's really, really key that they get back to it. And there's, mm-hmm. remember, this is like a featureless environment. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's been hypothesized and 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 to some extent tested that scorpion that these scorpions are using their eye pattern to look up at the stars. So they come out on moonless nights. That's when they're the most active. And they look up at the stars and they triangulate their position relative to the position of the stars. That okay, that's brutal. That's awesome. Yeah. Like there's only Old been limited tests. Style. I know, right? Like destroying yeah. the stars. Um, the, exactly. There's only been a small amount of tests trying to confirm this. Yeah. So as far as the experimentation, like it's rudimentary, mm-hmm. but but uh, but it's definitely one thing that I'm super interested in, in looking into in the future. Oh, absolutely. I didn't even think about asking that. Like, what's the death perception for these eyes? Like, can they see? In, are they nocturnal? Like, they can see in the dark, and they see. Only certain spectrums of light. Like, what's that? Like, do they see more than we can see? Well, they they can certainly see a, a pretty large spectrum of light. So, like from from just casual observation on my part. So, mm. when I'm out looking for arachnids, if I'm looking for spiders, I go out during the day. Mm-hmm. If I'm looking for for some kinds of spiders and scorpions, certainly, like I'm out at night, like looking for scorpions. That's when they're active. That's when they're out doing their business. They're super hard to find during the day, mm-hmm. and so I'm out with. Usually what I use is a UV light, an ultraviolet light, like a black light, like, you know, disco party kind of situation. Because you're partying anyway. Because you're not partying. Exactly. Exactly. I got the rum flask in my back pocket. (laughs) Yeah. There Um, it is. And, but the reason I use that is because scorpions fluoresce under ultraviolet light, so they glow like this bright green color. I saw um, a special on this. I actually remember watching something about this. I know something. (laughs) Yes. 
Victory. And, and I can say, like, for sure that if I'm either using a white light or an ultraviolet light, scorp the scorpions can perceive it and they react. They have like a behavioral reaction to the light when I shine it on them. Like I've seen scorpions and I'm like, you know, 10 meters away. So they're probably not feeling my vibration yet. And I shine the, the UV light on them and like maybe they're sitting on the, the trunk of a tree and they'll just like drop off the tree like instantly. Oh, wow. They're, they're aware. So yeah. totally aware. So super aware. And so I, I know for sure that they can at least, at, the, at a minimum, they can see in the, in the UV and, and sort of white light spectrum. Wow. I don't know if they can see infrared. Probably not, but who knows? <laughs> half man, half spider. Spiders yeah. seem incredibly complex. Or not, well, this, or, sorry, not just spiders. We're talking about scorpions too, but like just arachnids. Like, that's nuts. Like, if they were so ever. Nuts bigger than what they are today i'm just justin don't do anything without oxygen stuff to listen here. Yeah, i don't care what she said do not spark your interest at all all right please um you know lauren we usually have one last question but we didn't plan it out for this but i have oh yeah i do have a question i i, I, I figured it out and during this interview are you taking it from me i'm taking it for you from, from you this episode oh my god this is usually justin's question but since he's been oh, so man. excited this entire I totally episode i forgot about it was... he's been that excited i'm going to ask a question um what's your most favorite spider and least favorite spider. Does it have to be spiders? Okay, no, no. Arachnids, let's do that. Okay. That's most favorite arachnid. That, that one's like, without, I, I don't even have to think twice on that one. So my, my most favorite arachnid is this group of arachnids called, called uh, tailless whip scorpions or whip spiders. They have a whole bunch of names. None of them's really great. Mm -hmm. and, and they're those things that are, that are in Harry Potter. Uh, and they're actually like a whole different order of arachnids. They're neither spiders nor scorpions, but they're the closest living relative of all spiders. But they don't mm -hmm. make silk and they don't have venom and they live in the tropics, usually on like the base of big, huge trees. Mm -hmm. And they're like super cool, Ooh. mostly because they have this like complex social behaviors mm -hmm. where the mother glues the egg sac onto her abdomen after she lays eggs. And when once the babies hatch out, they go, they climb onto her back and like hang out on her back oh until they get. Gosh, I think I've seen what you're talking about. Uh, okay. Before. Yeah. So they do that until they get big enough to move off. And once they move off of the mom's back, the craziest thing is they stay within like feeling distance of the mother. And and so amble pigeons are that's what the scientific name is. <laughs> they have these first pair of walking legs so all arachnids have eight legs but in these guys the first pair of legs that would normally be walking legs have been modified into this super long like feeler and they and it's covered in sensory structures that can smell and feel vibration and all kinds of stuff right and so mm -hmm. the mom will reach out and touch the babies like stroke them with her whips hmm. with her feelers and the babies will reach out and, and touch the mom and touch each other and like it's just kind of adorable it wow. looks like a comb is that what we, you're talking we, we about we googled it on our end right now we're looking at the spider by the way it looks creepy. no so yeah so the comb, so the comb thing is their mouth parts so they have these raptorial jaws like you can imagine a, a like praying mantis arms turned sideways in front of their oh, face look at that <laughs> Devesh is freaking out I'm ah. showing them pictures <laughs> but, watch just because then, I'm completely freaked out I'm never airing this episode <laughs> <laughs> and then they have these long feelers that are legs that are that, that are like you know come out a little bit further back from the jaws and mm -hmm. the, those feelers are what they use to touch each other and they'll stay that way like they'll live in these kind of colonies with mom and babies for, for like lengthy periods of time like over a year and then the other super cool thing to, to add to their cuddliness <laughs> is that 
that the males when so the males compete for for territory where they can breed with females mm -hmm. and the way that they do that is those jaws those like crazy raptorial arm things keep growing over their lifetime like every time they shed their skin their jaws get bigger and so the in order to compete with each other what they do is they face each other and each one opens up one of their jaws and they like measure up and then, <laughs> and then like the loser just leaves that's it <laughs> It's like over. It's not the size of your jaw, man. It's how you use it. I'm out of here. <laughs> Screw you. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be so funny if some spiders just have personalities like that. Could you imagine if people were like that? Just guys whipping it out at the bar and just like... Dude, what are you talking about? I'm sure that does happen at some places. <laughs> I've heard some stories. I've seen House of Cards season one. They did that. And that and that's, yeah. Um, that, that's Okay, so hold on. That's your favorite. That's my favorite. Okay, and by the way, I do think you said there's a lot of names for that one. I do think you are in a position of power to try and contribute what that name can also be, if like not the official scientific term, but whip spiders is the name I use usually. Okay, so what's your uh, least favorite? Least favorite arachnid, ticks, hands down ticks. Ugh. Why is that? Because they're just like gross. They get on you and suck your blood out. Okay, I have no idea the difference between what you just said right now and the picture I just saw of your favorite spider because that was a creepy looking spider too. You know what a tick is. Yeah, they don't suck so. any blood and they also don't transmit any. All this stuff creeps me out, guys. I'm just like, I'm not trying to be like prejudiced towards one thing or another. Everything in this episode is kind of like, wow. But yeah, okay. Mind blown. Mind blown. Mind blown, right? Um, so, uh, Lauren, where. Uh, so, people can see your work, stuff that you're discovering at the California Academy of Sciences. Definitely. Um, is there any place else they can find you online or anything like that? Or are you just going to recommend them going over there? Yeah, I would recommend checking out the California Academy of Sciences. There's a whole section on our research and what we do with links to research and articles and all kinds of awesome multimedia. Uh, I also, my nonprofit has a website. It's islandseas.org. Cool. And that talks a lot about the outreach stuff that I'm doing and, and what we're doing as a nonprofit organization to try to change the world a little bit. Just a little bit. That is awesome. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> That's awesome. If I get enough money for a ticket to the Caribbean, can I help you out? Can I just go yeah. and like... Come on down. I always yes. need to volunteers. Look yes. at that. Look at that. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine? All right, let's even, be even better if you'll, even better if you'll, if you'll, if you'll social media it. Ooh, see that? Dude, we'll do a whole thing. Hold on. You know, Lauren, you're instigating here. You're, oh, my <laughs> like, gosh. Justin's going to be getting, get like, a container with extra oxygen doing something. you got to leave the oxygen at home. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, okay, let's, on that note, let's start wrapping this up. Lauren, thank you so much for being on here. Thank you, guys. No, that was, that was amazing. That was so much fun for me, and I, I still feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, I just feel like we kind of just touched the surface of spiders and, and what yeah, they are and, and their behavior and everything like that. I definitely love to Absolutely. have you on the show again whenever you like your stateside. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's plan on that. Awesome. All right. Take well, two. All, yeah. All right, Lauren. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Have a good Bye. one. Dude, what a cool girl. Yeah, she knows a thing or two about spiders. Uh, and she knows a thing or two about traveling to lesser traveled parts of the world. And walking face first into spider webs in the name of science. I know, man. See, people, we've had a lot of people on the show so far, and um, we've interviewed many more than we've aired so far. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a lot of them have traveling in their job description, which is pretty cool because I, I've heard, I've had friends growing up and they were like, I really don't want a desk job. It's like, yeah, I don't either. You guys, become awesome and study arachnids and do something like that, and you can travel to remote areas of the world without needing to pay for it. Yeah, if you got the guts to 
to do that. Yeah, if you have the guts to do that. <laughs> Give me a Lord of the Rings replica sword and I'll cut through spider webs any day. <laughs> Don't laugh at me, Justin. Don't judge me. Don't judge me on our own show. Anyways, guys, this week's episode was brought to you, brought to you by the California Academy of Sciences. Check them out at calacademy.org. And also... We got Chuck Levins in the house. Thanks so much, guys, for hooking us up. Got any audio needs? Check them out, chucklevins.com. And last but not least, Core Foundation. Core Foundation, a multimedia nonprofit. Check us out at cor-foundation.org. And subscribe, buy stuff, like I said in the beginning of the show. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, check us out next week because we got History of Alchemy, Travis Dow, coming on the show. Yes! You're excited for this one, like always, right? (laughs) There's so much history of of people that thought they were doing science stuff, and (laughs) they were just just, like, it was it was like the infancy of science, and it's pretty funny to get it. It's like old school capitalists, like I want to make gold. (laughs) (laughs) No, guys, check us out. Next week's episode is pretty uh, pretty interesting. Uh, A lot of history in that one, and uh, and if you want any. Uh, preliminary uh, information before starting that episode check out the podcast history of alchemy with travis chet dow so he yeah he does ours. a lot of cool stuff yeah and, and he, he's gonna be on our show next week yeah and yep. if you're listening to this show at the time we put it out happy new year's guys yeah happy new year everyone uh we have a lot of cool stuff planned for you this year and uh yeah it should be pretty cool check us out on social media uh on twitter and instagram we're at the i hour and on facebook we're the interesting hour so we have a lot of behind the scenes stuff going up on that on those channels. And uh, yeah, talk to us on there. We like to interact with our fans because, you know, we're all weird people. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, guys, we'll talk to you next week. And uh, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Yay. Yay. Goodbye. Bye. See you soon. Bye.